You know, people love the book of Acts. They love this chapter in Acts. The beginning starts with this wonderful story about the Holy Spirit coming, and there's fire, and there's language, and there's the breath of God. And that's a wonderful passage that, that people love. The chapter concludes, the last few verses are about the new church and how they came together and they're loving each other and sharing each other. And people love that. But we're going to talk about the middle section. And the middle section is Peter's very first sermon. It might even be the very first time he did public speaking of any kind. Peter was a fisherman turned disciple and now a preacher. I remember my first sermon that I did. I was in college. Uh, I had no desire to be a pastor at that point in my life. I was just on a mission trip. I was in southern Africa, and I was serving at a church, but the pastor was going to be gone. He, he and his wife were going to Philadelphia for a week, and so they needed someone to preach. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but they asked me, and I said yes. I studied all week. I had one commentary. <laughs> I read that. I, I remember I preached on Psalm 37, and I studied all week. I had about eight pages of handwritten notes, and I prayed, I practiced, and I was terrified. Saturday night, I couldn't sleep. Sunday morning, I got to church, and I immediately found the deacons, the deacons who asked me to preach, and I said, I can't do this. I can't do it. Uh, part of the reason why the pastor who was gone, he preached on an average for about an hour and 20 minutes every Sunday. I'm like, guys, I've got maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes if it goes really well. And I was kind of expecting them to shame me or something, but they just smiled, they kind of laughed, and they said, that's okay. Once in a while, we like getting out of church early. <laughs> so I took a deep breath and said, where are we going to go for brunch? You know? <laughs> We'll have plenty of time. This will be pretty quick. I don't know how long it was, but it, uh, I remember, remember that, that sermon. Uh, I don't know if I've gotten much better, but I know I've gotten a lot longer. So <laughs> for those of you who are thinking, hoping for a 15-minute message, that's, those days are past. But Peter, though, back to Peter, this is his first sermon. And he, I don't know how long the sermon was, but I know the results. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. You could say this is the most amazing sermon. It's the first sermon that, the, that kind of recorded in the history of the church. Because the church had just started. This is the, kind of the first day of the church. It all started on that day called Pentecost. This is 50 days after Jesus uh, had died. So, you know, within two months. People were in Jerusalem. They're, it's a festival. They're celebrating the end of harvest. So they're there from all over the world there to come to Jerusalem to worship, to give their tithes and offerings. But what happens on this day was like none other. The Holy Spirit came, filled this room of 120 people, filled this room. The, the, the breath of God came in. The, the fire came and then landed on each person's head but didn't burn up their hair, just sat on them. And then they learned languages not a new language, not a heavenly language. They learned languages of the people that were in town. Then they went around and they started sharing their story. They were prophesying. They shared the story of hope. They shared their testimony. They, they worshiped God. They glorified him. It was an amazing day. But some of the people walking by looked at them and said, they've had too much wine. 
<laughs> they didn't know how to explain it. They're loud. They're excited. They're talking in these different languages. Of course, what other thing could it be than they're drunk? And that's where Peter stands up and starts his sermon. He gathers the other uh, 11 disciples, and they stand up with him, and he begins to preach this sermon. We're going to look at this sermon here in just a minute, but here's what I want you to see. I want, I want you to see the power of the Holy Spirit. Because really, like, what differentiates this talk versus other things that even Jesus said? What's the difference? Nobody came to Christ then. Nobody confessed and repented then. But they did here. We're going to see that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I also want you to see that when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, the response is prophecy. And I don't mean kind of a weird, like, oh, here's the future, kind of here's what's going to happen. What I mean by prophecy is you're proclaiming the wonders of God. The response of being filled with the Holy Spirit is sharing the, the story of God, the testimony with the people around us. And so today I want us to look at just what a gospel message is and how it changes lives. Because you might be wondering, like, aren't we kind of past that? You know, aren't we past the Jesus and the sin and the call to repentance? That was so, you know, a couple generations ago. People don't respond to that anymore. What people respond to is more like social action. You know, maybe we should concentrate on more of that. Or maybe you're wondering, what about my family members that I've been praying for for years and years and years, and they are still not receiving Christ. They still haven't come to him. Is there any hope? And I want us to see that, yes, we continue to preach Jesus. We're continuing to preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do so filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what changes lives. So may those be the things that we hear today. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would come upon us and just enlighten us, open our hearts and our minds so we would hear and we would receive. Lord, we're here to receive from you, so I pray that you would speak clearly to us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. First thing we see is the long-awaited Holy Spirit is here. It has come. Now, Pentecost is not the birthday of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't born on Pentecost. In fact, we've seen the Spirit at work throughout the Scriptures. The, the second verse in the Bible even talks about the Spirit of God. When it's talking about creation, and the earth is formless and void, and it says the Holy Spirit was there hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is eternal. It's part of the Godhead. right? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit wasn't born on Pentecost. In fact, it, New Testament is not the first time we see the Holy Spirit indwelling someone. We've seen it a few times throughout the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit comes on people for a moment, for a task, or for a season. Sometimes it's temporary. There was a, a man who was put in charge of kind of uh, decorating and getting the tabernacle ready. And Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit came on him to help him sew, to help him work with gold and silver and bronze, and to help him be able to cut these jewels. That was a gift from the Holy Spirit on one person for a certain time for a task. But we've seen the Holy Spirit in other people too. Kings and judges had the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, Saul 
when he became king, he had the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He prophesied. David, he had the Holy Spirit. And what did he do? He prophesied. And we see people uh, throughout the scriptures how they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's the difference in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on someone and it could go. We saw that with Saul. When he, he had the Holy Spirit, he prophesied. But in his rebellion, he stood against God and, and God took the Holy Spirit from him. And David, when he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he fell into sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And in Psalm 51, he said, God, David prays, God, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Please, I know you can, but please don't do that. So we see the Holy Spirit can, can uh, leave someone there in the Old Testament. So we see plenty of, uh, of, of Scripture where we see the, the, the Holy Spirit indwelling people, even in the Old Testament. The most famous one, though, is from Numbers 11. It's my favorite one, I guess, too. It's Moses as he's leading the people through the desert. He has taken them out of Egypt, and he, they're in the desert. But the people keep complaining. They're complaining about the weather. They're complaining about where they're going. They're complaining about the food. Oh, they just want to be back in Egypt so they could eat onions and leeks. Never have leeks been so amazing as it was here in the desert. But the people were complaining. And Moses had had enough. He says, I am so frustrated, Lord. I just want to die and just they can figure it out themselves. But what does God do? He says, no, we're not going to go that route. I have a different route. And he chose 70 elders, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what did they do? They prophesied. Well, there just happened to be 68 of them were kind of all around Moses, around the tent. But there were two that, for whatever reason, health reasons or what, they weren't able to join them. And they were out in the camp with the rest of the people, and they were prophesying. And Joshua, who would actually take Moses' spot later on, he comes to, to Moses, he says, tell them to stop it. Tell them to stop. They're not part of the 70 or they weren't here when that happened. But listen to what Moses says. He says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Did you hear that? He says, I wish they all had the Holy Spirit living in them. I wish they were all prophesying. That would be a bell that would kind of ring throughout the Old Testament until it gets to the, the, the Scripture in Joel chapter 2. But he's saying, I want everybody to do that because if everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit, my job would be so much easier. People wouldn't be complaining about eating onions and leeks. They would just be happy, filled with joy. I want everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of this bell that rings. But then Joel picks it up. Later on in the end of the Bible, you come to this small book, Joel, who's talking about the end of the days. And this is what he says. That same language. He says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's going to pour out his spirit on all people. Not just kind of sprinkle it with a watering can or, you know. It's like, think, like Gatorade bucket you know, after the Super Bowl. Pouring it out. On all people. 
This was the expectation that when the Messiah comes, that he would bring the Spirit and that people would prophesy. That was the expectation throughout the Scriptures. And it's interesting that when Jesus, remember in John chapter 3, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. And he's talking about the Spirit, and Nicodemus is not getting it. And that's when Jesus says, how is it, Nicodemus? You, you're a teacher of the law, and you don't get this. You don't understand these things. This is basic Old Testament prophecy 101. You ought to get this. That when the Messiah comes, the Spirit comes, and people will prophesy. So when you open up the Bible to Luke, and you're in chapter 1, you see someone. You see two people filled with the Holy Spirit. One old, one young. Filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesy. Elizabeth and Mary. That's a cue that something's happening. The Holy Spirit's coming. Let's look for that Messiah. People are being filled with the Spirit and they are prophesying. So that's what, what Peter is trying to explain to the people. The people are looking around them saying, they're drunk, they're, just, they're full of wine. And Peter saying, that's not what it is. They're not filled with wine, they're filled with the Spirit. So he has one of this this to that arguments. He says, this, what you see, these people talking in strange languages and prophesying, it's that what Joel was talking about. So that's where he goes. And he, in order to, to understand what is going on, what all this deal is with these people being filled with the Spirit, prophesying, speaking other languages, he said, let's go back and look at Joel. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, he says, These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on, in those days, and they will prophesy. Okay. So we see that. So that's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is here. People are prophesying. But he continues. Look in verse 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Okay, what's going on? Now, we saw the fire, but blood, billows of smoke, that, that we hadn't seen. So the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the part of Joel that he's trying to, to show what is happening. And he says, what you just saw is the beginning of the day of the Lord. Holy Spirit comes, people prophesy. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. That's the beginning of the day of the Lord. But as it goes, there's some things that we haven't seen yet. Blood and fire, smoke, darkness, the moon and sun, dark and all of that. That's the conclusion of the glorious day of the Lord. When Jesus Christ comes back for the second time as King of kings and Lord of lords. So what we're experiencing here is that day of the Lord that began with the Spirit and will end when Jesus returns. But this is the day of salvation. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So for us... We're living in that day. 
we don't know how long this will go. It's already been a couple thousand years, a couple thousand years more, a couple hundred, a couple days. We don't know. But we're living in this day. The Spirit is here. The Spirit has already been poured out on people that believe. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then what is your role? What is your job? What have we seen from way back in the Old Testament? When people were filled with the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They prophesy. That's our role right now. We're prophets. You are not observers. You're not there on the sidelines saying, oh, that's for other people, or that's people from another denomination. No, 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 no. That's for all of us. We are all participants. We are all prophets. And again, what I mean by that is we all share our testimony. We all are to share with others the wonders of God, what he is doing, what he's done in our life. We are to worship him and proclaim him to make much of him because that's what the Spirit does. And if that's what the Spirit does and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then that is what we do. Let us be bold and proclaim the wonders of Jesus Christ. May we never ever stop Paul and Peter as they write their letters it's in here several times like Colossians 3:16 and Romans 15:14 1 Peter 3:15 basically just saying this because you're filled with Christ because you have the holy spirit teach and manage one another with wisdom and through psalms and hymns and songs in the spirit saying teach others and worship together. In Romans 15, 14, it says, You have the knowledge and are competent to instruct one another. You're filled with the Spirit, so teach one another. Let's help each other learn how we walk with the Spirit, how we are our parents who are, 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 are loving Jesus and, and, and introducing our children, how we're good children to our parents, how we're good citizens, all these things. Help teach each other. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You're a prophet. Someone says, you just seem friendly. You seem nice. What's going on? Be a prophet. Share with them what God has done in your life. That's for all of us because the Holy Spirit is here. That began the day of the Lord, and we're living in it now. What else do we see? Peter continues to talk, and he's, he says that the Holy Spirit is here only because Jesus is on the throne, meaning that we're only here because he is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. So now he begins to explain what was happening. And he doesn't quote Jesus here, but he probably, I'm sure he's remembering what Jesus said in John 16 when he says, I'm going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Spirit. He says, it's really, it's a good thing that I leave. You, want, you don't want me to leave, but it's a good thing. It's to your advantage because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to live inside of you. He's going to help you understand what is your sin. He's going to lead you to truth. So it's a good thing. So I'm sure that's what was in Peter's mind as he preaches. But look at what he says. Look at verse 22. He's going to talk about Jesus, his life, and his ministry. He says, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, 
which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he first says that this person, Jesus, he has a name, Jesus of Nazareth, that he was a man, and he did miracles, signs, and wonders, and he doesn't go into them here, but we know he brought people back from the dead, and he healed uh, people that were sick and diseases. He cast out demons. He calmed the weather. He said, Jesus did this because God gave him that favor. He was crediting him so that you could see it. So that beyond a shadow of a doubt, those of you who saw and witnessed what Jesus did, you would know that no ordinary person can do that. But Jesus was doing this because God was giving him power to do that. And in doing so, he was showing, showing the world what it looks like in the kingdom of God. That there is no death. There's no sickness. There's no weird weather patterns messing up people's lives. He's starting to reverse that curse. He's showing what the kingdom of God looks like. He says, he was just a man, but God was working through him. That you know, there's no denying it. But you didn't like that. You were threatened by it, so you killed him. Verse 23, he says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Okay, Peter's getting really sneaky here. He's kind of doing two things. It's almost like a paradox. He's saying, Jesus died. It was by the deliberate plan of God that he would die. So on the one hand... God put him to death. He allowed him. That was his will. But on the other hand, you killed him. You did it. You were the ones that led him to the cross. You nailed him to the cross. So he kind of these two things. But what is going on? See, for the, the Jews, it was inconceivable to think of a Messiah who would suffer, who would be humiliated, who would die. Gordon Fee, uh, an author, says this. He says, To the Jews, Christ crucified is a contradiction in terms of the same category as fried ice. There is no such thing as fried ice. And to the Jews, there is no category, no such thing as a crucified Messiah. Because Messiahs win. They don't die. So to them, Jesus died. He was not the Messiah, but to God, said this was his will. This was his plan. Remember Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he prayed. He said, Lord, if it's possible, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, please remove it. But there was no way because he was supposed to die. He was a sacrifice. The the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He was here to die on the cross. That was part of God's plan. It it didn't get messed up. He wasn't being judged. He didn't uh, kind of make a wrong turn. This was the plan. So it was God's will. But it was also man's responsibility. They were the ones that didn't want him. They were the ones yelling, crucify him. So to them, like, well, because he died, he couldn't be the Messiah. But Peter's explaining, no, that's exactly why he's the Messiah. Because he did die. But here's the difference. Messiahs don't stay dead. Messiahs 
or, or come back to life. And that's what happened. Death can't hold the Messiah down. So Peter continues on the argument, and he's going to add some psalms in here as well. So stay with me. But listen to this verse. This is the main thought. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So that's the point. It wasn't that Jesus died. That was part of God's plan. But it was never part of God's plan that he would stay dead. He stayed in the grave for three days. And it was always God's plan that he would be resurrected. It is impossible for him to stay dead. And then he, he talks about Psalm 16. So this is what David wrote. David wrote one of these psalms, or several of these psalms, that uh, you think maybe it's about David, but it's about, it's about Jesus. It says in verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of my life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And then Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. So he's basically saying, listen, David wasn't right about himself because he died. He was buried, and if we go on a field trip to his tomb, we will see that the, the bones, we'll see his decay. So he clearly wasn't writing about himself. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. So he said even David gets it. David knew that he is that there's going to be this Messiah on his throne, that his throne would be eternal. David wasn't eternal, but the Messiah would be. But the Messiah would die, but he would not see decay. So again, field trip. We go to David's, we see his bones. We go to the tomb of Jesus, and here it is, 50 days after he died. If he's decaying, we would know. It's the middle of June, it's hot, we would know. You stick your nose in that tomb, and you'll know if there's decay. That tomb is empty. He's not there. He's not decaying. Because Messiahs don't stay dead. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. He's raised him to life. Jesus didn't stay dead. Because he's the Messiah. It was his, God's intention for him to die, but not to stay dead. The resurrection proves who this person is. They thought he was just a man, but he was God. And how do we know? It's because he was exalted to heaven. And that's where Peter goes next. And this is, the, this is different. Had there been other people in history that were brought back to life after they died? Yeah, there's several. You from the Old Testament, uh, Jesus brought uh, back two people. The boy from Nan... Uh, Lazarus. But what happened to all these people? They died. They were resurrected. But they died again. They died again. Jesus didn't die again. Here's what is different from him versus the others. Verse 33. Exalted 
to the right hand of God, he was received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out on what you see and hear. He was exalted. He sat in heaven at the right hand of God. God gave him the Holy Spirit, and he poured out the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, on all those people here. He says, that's what you see. That's what you hear. These languages, you see the people talking. That's what you're witnessing. Jesus, sitting on the throne, pouring out the Holy Spirit on all people. Verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven. He's not in heaven. He's not sitting at the right hand of God. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. He's talking about Jesus. Once again, Psalm 110, verse 1. He's talking about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand. Only Messiahs sit at the right hand of God. Kings like David don't do that. Jesus was not only died, but he resurrected, but he was exalted. He was put in heaven. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. I want you all to know this. Be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's the bottom line. Who is this man from Nazareth? He is Jesus, the Lord and Messiah. Because he did something that nobody else did. Lived a perfect life. Died a perfect death. Resurrected. Ascended to heaven. Sitting at the right hand of God. And now pouring out his spirit on all people. He is the Lord and the Messiah. Lord meaning he's king. He has all the authority. He's supreme. He's sovereign. Messiah Christ, meaning he gives salvation. See, if he was just the Lord, well, we could be so fearful. Oh, we come to bow down before him and we're in terror because he could take our life. He could do whatever he wants. He's, he has all control. But he's also the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's also the one who says, come to me. I will take your burden. I will give you rest. I will show the Father's love to you. I will bring you into my kingdom. I will make you the children of the Father, children of the King. There's so much love there. Being the Lord and the Messiah who brings salvation. So in verse 37, people say, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Like I said at the beginning, why were they cut to the heart now? The chances are they'd heard Jesus talk about these things. They weren't cut to the heart then. Did they just have time to think about it? Like, I know there's slow processors out there. You know, like, I just need, a, I need some time to think about it. Yep, me too. Uh, that's why I know. Did they just need more time? I don't think so. Did, uh, did they just need, like, a good argument from Peter? Did he, like, just, like, he sealed the deal? He came and he was the closer? I don't think that was it either. Well, I think the only difference is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work. He was convicting their hearts. So now when they hear the same story that they've heard before, they're like, oh, what do we do? You're right. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. We killed Jesus. We killed the Messiah. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and brings us to the truth. And that's what he did. He brought them to the truth so they could hear it. 
And Peter replies, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off. That's us. Like far off, generations down the line. For all whom the Lord our God will call. That was a beautiful passage. What should we do? Repent. Repent. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. I have tried to be king of my own life. I have tried to build my own kingdom. I've taken things into my own hands. I've lived my own way. I didn't think about you. And if people did bring up the name Jesus, I said, oh, get out of here. I'm not, that's not for me. Repent and say, Lord, please, please forgive me. I don't want to be my own king. I want you to be king in my life. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to experience freedom in Christ. He says, repent and be baptized. Not that baptized saves us. The repentance does. But when, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have received him, the proper thing to do is to publicly declare that by baptism, where you identify with Jesus, his death, his resurrection, being cleansed from sin, So for all of us, if there's anybody here, I've been following Jesus, but I've not been baptized. We want to baptize you. Do it here. We're going to do it on Easter. We'd love to baptize you if you haven't already. It's an important part of our faith. We repent and we're baptized. And then we're given two things. There's two promises. Forgiveness. You will be forgiven. You will be forgiven from all those things that you did. All those things that you're ashamed of. All those things you're terrified, you don't want anybody to know, those are forgiven, taken away, nailed to the cross, buried for good. You will be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit living in you. Not living next to you, but living in you, filling your heart. And what do you do? What do you do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You talk about it. You talk about it. You worship. You love others. You proclaim the glory, the wonder of Jesus to anybody who will listen. What do we do? We repent. We baptize. We're forgiven. We receive the Holy Spirit. And last, we become part of his new community. We become part of a new community. Look at verse 40. It says, With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them. So this wasn't the only thing. He wasn't just saying, oh, I'm just going to speak it, and then we'll let it be. He pleaded with them. He warned them. He kept talking to them. He said, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. But what did he say? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Seems like an odd thing to say. Where did that come from? Remember what he just said. Jesus was not corrupt. He did not decay. He's incorruptible. This world is decaying. Save yourself from this world. Save yourselves by the only person who is not decaying. The incorruptible one, Christ, 
Come, plead with him. Save yourselves from this generation. Because when he comes back, he's going to come back and punish the corrupt generation. But those who have been forgiven, those who have the Holy Spirit, are not going to face that judgment. They have that Holy Spirit saying, this is my deposit into heaven. This is why I come into heaven, because I stand with Christ I have put my faith in him. He is my savior. I've been given the Holy Spirit. You will be saved from that corrupt generation. So what do we see here? We see the Holy Spirit exalts Christ. The Holy Spirit is always exalting Christ, lifting him up. The Holy Spirit fills the church. He fills those who are following Jesus. And what do we do? do the same thing the Holy Spirit does. We exalt Christ. Listen, I know there's a temptation to say, hey, sin doesn't work with this generation anymore. We've got to move on to other things, more clever arguments, more innovations. Right? We've got to continue to do good. I agree, we've got to continue to do good. But not at the expense of letting go of the gospel. We can never let go of that because the gospel is what saves lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So for those of you who have been praying for someone for years and years, don't give up. Keep praying. Praying that the Holy Spirit would come in and convict and change hearts so that they would receive the truth of the gospel and keep proclaiming it. May we as a church and may you as individuals, may we never stop proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man so he could become our Savior, right? He died so that he could give us salvation. He was resurrected to be our Lord. And he was exalted. He ascended into heaven so he could pour out the Holy Spirit on the church, on the people. And we have that power today. So friends, when we look at this, uh, as I kind of have been thinking about this message, um, there's two people out in this world. There's the people that exalt Christ and crucify themselves. They make much of Jesus and little of themselves. And there's people that crucify Christ and make much of themselves. They exalt themselves. That's it. Who are you? If you are the person that has exalted Christ, crucified your life, you are now free. You are filled with the Spirit. And then go prophesy. Go tell people about the wonders of Jesus. But if you are someone who has been crucifying Jesus and making much of yourself, I, I, I plead with you and beg, just like Peter did with his audience, be reconciled to Christ. Confess. Confess that you've been living on your own, trying to build your own kingdom, living in rebellion with God. But confess and come and find new life in him. Be filled with the Spirit. Experience forgiveness. Be part of a new community. Is there to exalt him. We, I invite you to join us for that. How do you do it? You just pray. You just pray. Say, Lord, I just confess my sins. Please forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and fill me with the righteousness of Christ. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me a new life. That's where joy is found. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Only possible.
because of the Holy Spirit. Amen.